Designed by architect Richard Morris Hunt and opened in 1875, the New York Tribune Building, also known as the Tall Tower, certainly comes to mind as a candidate for one of New York's first ever skyscrapers. Originally 10 stories of brick and masonry, it was later expanded to be 19 stories and was primarily inspired by French architecture. And upon completion, the Tribune Building was the tallest in New York City, and it was also the first to offer high rise elevator service. But sadly, this building's silhouette is no longer visible on the New York skyline. You see, it fell to the wrecking ball in 1966, and its legacy has been forgotten by most. But that stops today. Join me as we uncover the hidden history of New York's lost Tribune building. I'm your host, Ryan Sokash, and you're watching It's History. Though nowadays we have shifted more towards getting our news online, it is essential to remember that the publishing and printing industry served as one of the country's most vital arteries in its time. It was also crucial to the development of some of New York City's most incredible architectural structures. In the late 19th century, the daily newspaper industry thrived at New York City's Park Row thanks to its proximity to City Hall, the courts, and the main post office. In fact, Park Row was such a big part of the newspaper business that as various newspaper firms began to populate the area, it earned the nickname Newspaper Row. At the time, it was primarily dominated by the New York Times, the New York World, the New York Sun, and of course, the New York Tribune. The New York Tribune was founded as a Whig Party pen paper on April the 10th, 1841 by Horace Greeley. Greeley was an American newspaper editor most well known for his strong abolitionist stances which he communicated through his columns. Originally a printer's apprentice in East Pulteney, Vermont, Greeley moved to New York City in 1831 to work as a founding editor at The New Yorker in 1834. Through his position, he first caught the attention of New York politician Thurlow Weed. Greeley issued political campaign weeklies during the elections of 1838 and 1840, which not only helped further the Whig cause, but kicked off strong political partnerships with both Weed and the New York governor, William H. Seward. Empowered by this newfound success, Greeley decided to take on the most ambitious project yet, founding the New York Tribune, which he would then edit until his death. From the start, the New York Tribune was a trendsetter in standards for the city's newspapers. As a result, and due to its rising popularity, it quickly became one of the most important newspapers in the entire country, elevating Greeley's career as an editor along with it. It was distinguishable by its strong moralistic themes. Additionally, according to Chronicling America, it took great care to present information regarding crime and similar topics as quote, cautionary tales. The staff of editors and feature writers behind it were just as impressive, including names such as Henry J. Raymond, George Ripley, and Margaret Fuller. Karl Marx served as a London correspondent for a time. Through his editorial columns, Greeley promoted his anti-slavery stance. He also opposed liquor, tobacco, gambling, and capital punishment due to his strictly puritanical upbringing. He also encouraged educational reforms, though he opposed women's suffrage. 
The New York Tribune itself was less circulated than its biggest rivals, the New York Sun and the Herald, though it made up for that in its weekly edition, which was virtually unmatched for its lifespan. Its first edition was published on September the 2nd, 1841, and its weekly edition was exceedingly popular in smaller cities and towns. By 1860, it had reached an incredible circulation of around 200,000. It was renamed the New York Daily Tribune in 1842, and then back to the New York Tribune in 1866. In 1924, it merged with the New York Herald to form the New York Herald Tribune, which ran until 1966. After Greeley died in 1872, he was replaced by the American politician and newspaper editor Whitelaw Reed, who brought incredibly lofty ambitions with him, to the point that the skyline of New York City was about to change forever. You see, Reed, who intended to meet the growing need for space by building a quote, printing palace that would tower over the rest of its rivals, it was only natural that such an ambitious project needed a skilled and experienced architect. And hence, Reed personally oversaw the hiring of the man who would bring his marvel to life. With the groundwork set, let's take a moment to learn about Richard Morris Hunt, the designer who made Reed's ambitious vision a reality. Hunt was born on October the 31st, 1827, and was a true visionary. Throughout his decades-long career, he helped establish the French Beaux Arts in America and significantly contributed to standards for professional architecture and design. He was also instrumental in the founding of the American Institute of Architects, at which he served served from 1888 to 1891. His illustrious career started in Europe where he studied Beaux-Arts in Paris and became the first American to be trained there. Then in 1854, he became the inspector of works for the building that connected the Tuileries and the Louvre. He designed the Pavilion de la Bibliothèque under Hector Lafule and a year later returned to New York to work on the extension to the Capitol in Washington, D.C. He later designed the Lenox Library and was hired to work on the Tribune Building not long thereafter. Initially, Hunt's design called for an eight-story tall structure costing around $400,000, or around $8 million in today's money. Yet by the time it was completed in April of 1875, it stood at 10 stories tall. And frankly speaking, the structure's construction had been far from smooth. In March of 1874, the New York Sun newspaper sued to, quote, recover a large amount of damages for encroaching 25 inches on the property of the Sun in erecting their new building. Then, that same year, a construction worker named John Murray fell to his death from the fifth floor. The structure of the Tribune building was made up of load-bearing masonry, as was customary for the 1870s, and the mechanical systems it used were surprisingly modern. Its exterior combined red and black brick with light stone to create ten stories of striking architecture. By the time it was complete in 1875, it was the first tall building on Park Row. Not to mention, it was also one of the tallest in all of the city. 
Its total height, including the clock tower which was 12 feet in diameter, came to 260 feet. The building was designed to be as fireproof as possible due to concerns raised over the recent large-scale fires in Chicago and Boston. Instead of using wood in its construction, brick was laid in cement and dressed with stone and granite. Its flooring was made up of wooden planks laid over solid concrete. Its foundations were incredibly solid and sturdy. A series of walls that ranged from 5 feet and 2 inches to 6 feet thick carried most of the structure's weight. So from its clock tower to its subcellar, let's have a tour to see what was inside of this fantastic and iconic building. The composing room was fitted for up to 100 composers at a time, and its numerous offices were designed with both comfort and convenience in mind. Speaking tubes helped different areas communicate with one another at ease. Additionally, pneumatic tubes transferred documents and other important papers between the editor's room, the composing room, and the counting room. As stated before, the New York Tribune building was also among the first to offer elevator service. The interior climate was said to be extremely comfortable as it was protected by heating in the winter and ventilation in the summer. Its main lobby was decorated lavishly in various black, red, and gray marble, along with wood trimmings of ash, cherry, and apple. Bronze chandeliers hung from the ceiling, electrical lighting illuminated the various spaces, and electric annunciators were also included in the building's long list of amenities. And yet, despite this long list of advancements, the building was not as well received as you might expect. Let me explain. After opening to the public in 1875, opinions of the New York Tribune building were quite divided. Scientific America referred glowingly to its design, stating that its floors were ingeniously constructed and spoke highly of its accommodations. Many praised its innovation, but others had less positive things to say. One architectural critic described it in a column for the New York World as, quote, a glaring collection of red and white and black which time can never mellow, expressing what he described as the wariness, the fever, and the fret of modern life, especially of modern French life. Another significant point of criticism came from one of the many tenants it hosted upon its opening. In stark contrast to Greeley's views, who readily advocated temperance, the Tribune rented out space on its ground floor to Coaster and Bale for a basement saloon, which stirred up some pretty intense criticism. The Norwich Bulletin of Connecticut referred to the new building as a gorgeous groggery. And just to place a little emphasis, the dictionary definition of a groggery is a low-class barroom or a liquor store. At the same time, the New York Sun stated that it was the most famous drinking shop in the country, comparing the tower that topped it to a sugar refinery. Still, they had some rather impressive tenants, such as a businessman and inventor, Charles A. Cheever, who had over 100 patents and was widely associated with the likes of Alexander Graham Bell and Thomas Edison, as he made many improvements to their inventions. He also built the first telephone line in New York City and formed the Telephone Company of New York. The city's second ever phone line was installed in 1877 and ran from Chevers' office in the Tribune Building to the Law Telegraph Exchange at Fulton Street. The office of A. Oakley Hall, the former mayor of New York, was spoken of quite positively. Quote, the offices of Mr. Hall comprise a suit of rooms handsomely furnished 
and decorated with pictures, statues, and other works of art, many of which have some interesting incidences connected to their history. All these comments turned out to be rather trivial as a decade later, tragedy would strike. Although this building was said to be fireproof, a fire broke out on April the 1st, 1888 in the Homer Lee Banknote Company offices on the 8th floor. It then spread to the Tribune editorial rooms on the 9th floor as a crowd gathered below to watch the blazing flames. Well, no lives had been lost, the entire 9th floor was destroyed by the time the fire was extinguished, though it cost less than $2,000 in damages or $55,500 in today's economy, Dayton in Manhattan remarks that the total loss of important documents, paperwork, and library made the cost immeasurably tragic. In 1881, an annex for the Tribune building was constructed at Frankfurt Street, though it could not meet the ever-expanding need for more space, and so a plan was devised to rise the building's height from 10 to 19 stories tall, turning the New York Tribune building into a skyscraper all in its own. The architects, Diench, Yost, and Thuvard were hired to carry out the renovations, costing hundreds of thousands of dollars. They took care to preserve the architectural features of the building while reinforcing it, so much so that amazingly, even the clock tower was preserved entirely. This was done by removing and relaying every single stone at the top of the structure in the same exact spot. The Tribune later stated that the only difference between the tower of the past and the renovated tower was that the weather vane and the finial of the present were made of copper. In contrast, those of the former were made of iron. Though this was not the only renovation it underwent, in 1915, the Tribune leased space on the ground floor to a drugstore, though one glaring issue quickly revealed itself. The storefront had to be renovated, but the massive 20-foot-tall statue of Horace Greeley, which had been on the site since being unveiled in September of 1890, was completely blocking off the show window. It was moved across the street into City Hall Park, where it can still be viewed to this very day. And yet these new renovations were still not enough to keep the building from falling into obscurity and eventual demolition. After World War I, the newspaper industry began to migrate northward, and it was only a matter of time before the New York Tribune did the same. On Christmas Eve of 1921, it announced that they had sold the building and instead purchased a property on West 40th Street to prepare to move elsewhere. The building's new owners intended to renovate it and rent it out to various corporations that wanted to expand their reach downtown. So in October of 1922, it was leased out for 21 years for a total of $5 million by former merchant Victor Weichmann. From this point on, the building housed various legal firms as well as banking and contracting companies for the next few decades. Starting in 1944, it was sold and resold three more times, with its final buyer hoping to modernize and revitalize it. However, as noble as intentions may have been, nothing could seem to have saved one of the last standing relics of Newspaper Row, and in 1966, it fell to the wrecking ball so that Pace College campus could be built in its place. 
So indeed, as it seems to be the case with many lost masterpieces of the past, the New York Tribune building was doomed to live a tragically short life. Christopher Gray, one of the New York Times columnists, stated that the Tribune vanished, quote, almost without a trace and barely a whimper, 